Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the Back Row Retrospectives from what I watched tonight. This is my show to discuss movies I think are great with someone who happens to share that same opinion, thankfully. So joining me in the Back Row tonight is a man I've long respected and admired. And they say that Carlsberg is probably Denmark's finest export, but I beg to differ. The title should be bestowed upon this man. It's Anders Holmes. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for having me. This is um, this is really good fun. I've this is my first time on somebody else's podcast. This is uh, this is really great. I I would never ever have guessed that. Um, well, on that, you have your own stable of podcasts, and if you could just let the listeners out there, if they're not sure of who you are, and if you're not, why not? Um, if you could just let our listeners know what what you, what you do in the fandom and a little bit about Holmes movies. Yeah, so Holmes Movies uh, podcast is is uh, is something I started with my brother Adam, my older brother who uh, lives in the United States at the moment, and um, yeah, we started a few years ago. I think well, both him and I, we've been huge fans of films our whole lives, and we enjoy talking about films together. And I, I don't know, I think it was just over drinks, we were just having a conversation about movies, and then we just decided to be like, should we do a podcast? Yeah, sure, and then just, uh, just record this, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just, I don't know, it was something I'd been thinking about doing for a while because I got into podcasts quite a few years ago and and really enjoyed getting into that. And I thought, oh, this could be quite fun to do. And we both like films and, you know, talking about movies and things like that is uh, is the thing that we love. So, yeah, that's something that I've been doing for the last um, five or so years now. So it's been it's been pretty good. You could, yeah, so we, yeah, we talk about a lot of, I think my brother, like recently with um, COVID-19, we haven't really talked about new releases as much. And so we've been recommending films to one another. And I occasionally I recommend something that's a little bit newer or something a bit weird. Or I don't know, I watch quite a lot of different types of films. I'm into all sorts of genres. And my brother sort of, I think he's a little bit more old school, even though I do like old school and nostalgic for that kind of stuff. Um, he said he tends to recommend something a little bit more, something I haven't seen before or heard or old and things like that. So we both have similar tastes, but there are moments where our tastes uh, divert a little bit. But that probably makes for a decent dynamic as well, because if you're both very much cut of the same cloth, then it's it, it would be fun. But it's, it's always nice to get a new opinions, or let's face it, it's always nice to hear siblings fight or clash as well. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, I've I've listened to Holmes movies, and there probably are lots of other brother or sisters or sibling podcasts out there. But I find it I found it fascinating to begin with that you know you have a podcast with with your brother because for that dynamic, whereas I do podcasts with other people and you know friends of mine, so you have that kind of friendly banter whatsoever. But with a sibling. It's different, you know. You can, there's like almost no holds barred with a sibling, and um, I enjoy that about your show as well. It's uh, it feels straight up to me. It doesn't feel filtered either. I would recommend checking out Holmes movies. We are going to give the links at the end of the show, but just to, just as I put you on the spot, which is what's your favourite episode of your own podcast? Oh wow, good question. <laughs> <laughs> That's <is> pretty good. <laughs> a little bit. Ah, oh, my favourite episode. Um. I don't know. One of the recommendation episodes that we did very recently, it's about a film. Uh, I was, it was an episode where I recommended something. It was a movie called, um, it was a movie called sneakers from the, I think it was, yeah, from 1990. And I just kind of remember like us laughing quite a lot on that episode and just having kind of a good time. And it was me trying to like explain, there was like a moment in the film, no a moment when I was trying to explain the film 
or like just the plot in general. And then there was like a moment which sounded a bit like dodgy or something like that. And then my brother just goes out of nowhere and just goes, Ugh, that sounds weird. <laughs> that, that, it's, it's stuff like that or like moments where, I don't know, I feel like my brother sometimes feels like, okay, this is where we can end now. Let's move on. But then I'm like, you know, dragging it on. or <laughs> And then he's just sort of like, I just like, this is a point where I th- feel like we should end it and then move on to the next bit. I don't want to like drag this out. What's wrong with you? <laughs> sibling love. Yeah, sibling love. And my brother is very good at sort of, you know, just knocking me down. Well, not just, you know, anytime I feel like <laughs> I get a bit of ahead of myself or I get too energetic about talking about films and things like that, it's just... <laughs> He's there to sort of, you know, be like, okay, let's move on before we, you know, get put on a tangent too much. It's a beautiful world of podcasts because without that, nobody would hear, be able to hear you and your brother squabbling over films. Uh, you'd just be doing it over the phone, I guess. But energetic, <laughs> passionate, running away of yourselves. It's a back row. Tonight, we're going to be doing that because we are talking the second part of Peter Jackson's epic trilogy. We're talking The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And before we hear all of the grace and wonder that Anders is going to talk about the film, here's the admin, as I like to call it. So who's it directed by? I've just told you. Peter Jackson. And it stars, I'm sorry, there are a lot of names. Elijah Wood as Frodo. Uh, Sean Astin as Samwise Gamgee. Ian McKellen, sir, as Gandalf. Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn. Liv Tyler as Arwen. Kate Blanchett as Galadriel. John Rhys-Davis as Gimli. Bernard Hill as King Théoden. Sir Christopher Lee as Saruman. God rest your soul. Billy Boyd as Pippin, Dominic Monaghan as Merry, Orlando Bloom as Legolas, <gasps> keep going, Hugo Weaving as Elrond, Miranda Otto as Eowyn, David Wenham as Faramir, Brad Dorif as Grima Wormtongue, Carl Urban as Aemir, and Andy Serkis as Gollum. Side note, why did I list all those names? Because it's an ensemble and I feel like I have to. Uh, it was released on December the 19th, 2002. Uh, with a budget of $94 million, it made $951.2 million at the worldwide box office. Uh, nominated for six Oscars. The big one, Best Picture, Best Art Direction, Sound Mixing and Film Editing. And it won for Best Visual Effects and Sound Editing. Uh, so what's it about? It picks up directly after the Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo and Sam are heading to Mordor to destroy the Ring of Power. But this time, they're joined by the treacherous Gollum. Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli fight for Helm's Deep. And Merry and Pippin rally an army of trees to fight Saruman. Now, if you haven't seen The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, uh, extended or theatrical, three hours against three hours and 40 minutes, this is your spoiler warning. Uh, myself and Anna are going to be diving into yeah. <laughs> every aspect of the film. No stone is going to be left unturned. No hobbit hole left unscathed. So if you haven't seen the film, spoilers. And that, with that, enough of from me. Let's hear from the main man himself. So first off, Anders, The Two Towers, why... Does this movie rank so highly for you? What makes it a great film for you? I think it's like a lot of reasons. I think this one, I think when thinking about the Lord of the Rings films in general, I feel like when you're like ranking them, I think Two Towers for a lot of people sits quite at the top. For me, it's like Two Towers and Fellowship and Return of the King. It's not like saying, I don't think, I don't think Return of the King is a bad movie. It's just, it's my, I just feel like Two Towers, that's my number one favorite. And I think about like the Lord of the Rings movies in general, it's, I think it's just one of those universally, universally um, uh, beloved film franchises of all time. And I just feel like I can't, I can see there's like a real like passion for these movies. And I can, you know, you can see that there's not really much that like, you know, can divide people in many ways. Cause like you ha- you can see people being like, 
I think MCU films are better. And then someone would be like, oh, I think DC films are better. And Star Wars is bad. And oh, I hate the sequel trilogy and all that sort of stuff. But then like, I guess, you know, Lord of the Rings people are all in agreement being like, yeah, Lord of the Rings movies, they're all right. Yeah, Two Towers. Yeah, they're awesome. Hobbit, what do you think about The Hobbit? Uh, not so good. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Nobody <laughs> But But no, it, not to insult anyone who are fans of The Hobbit and anything like that. But um, I think with like these films, there is like a consistency in quality with each with each film, and and of course we all have our favorites. But like each film has that consistency of quality filmmaking and entertainment. It's fantasy done done right, and you know these movies were really groundbreaking, and what they did for you know filmmaking techniques and technology was really 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 great and you know this was the beginning of motion capture technology where it was you know it was just starting out and it's flawless like Gollum is brilliant like it, it I mean to this day even watching it now it still looks as good as it did back in 2002 and I think I mean Andy Serkis he completely steals that whole film from everybody I don't think anyone was really prepared for it no, he did the same in the Hobbit. In the Hobbit, the um, the first one as well, he, uh, unexpected journey. He was the best part of that film. Yeah, I know that whole scene just with him and Martin Freeman just doing yeah. the whole riddle. Honestly, uh, it was great. So good. Well, I like your point about consistency and basically the Lord of the Rings trilogy fans are all just. Uh, I like that. I mentioned on the Fellowship show I did a couple of months ago mm. that the, the most sacred, wonderful place in the world is the YouTube comments. Yeah those things for the Lord of the Rings like score or soundtrack. Just go and check those comments out. Everybody. It's just like, a, if you're ever feeling down one day, go check them out. Cause it's just, everyone comes together to discuss the majesty of the films of the score. Yeah. What would it be like to live in this world? And um, yeah, the Lord of the Rings fans, I'm sure there are some nutters in that fandom, but yeah, the other fans you mentioned certainly take the biscuit for that. Uh, the Lemba spread, if you will. I think all, like, I think every sort of fandom has like the, 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 you know, the really passionate people who really mm-hmm. like, go for it and stuff. I think that's kind of cool. I mean, all these things, like, with all these images, pictures, I, videos I see from like comic conventions and things like that, it's quite, it's mad, but I love the passion that kind of comes from it and stuff. And no, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, I think even just getting back to sort of with Gollum and Andy Serkis's performance, I think it's so brilliant and all the work that they, that went into making that character was, was amazing. I mean, if you like looking at the first film, Gollum wasn't really in the movie that much, but when he was there, he was a CGI character. And I liked that they saw Andy Serkis's performance and felt like we should definitely put him in the film, like find a way to put him in the movie. And I feel like, it's so it's so beneficial for Sean Astin, who like plays Sam, and Elijah Wood, who plays Frodo. Who you know they have someone to act with, like they have someone to react to. So it's not just some you know CGI ball and just be like, "There's Gollum," <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know. It's like I rem- I was I heard about a story from um, uh, episode one, The Phantom Menace. There was Terrence Stamp who played uh, Chancellor Valor. Yes. For those of you who remember it, he. Um, he was quite excited to be in the film because he was quite a fan of Natalie Portman. And when he when it was the when it was time to make the scene, he was quite disappointed because he was like looking around, being like, where's Natalie, where's Natalie? Portman? Where what's going on? And then George Lucas was like, Oh, there she is. Like her face was on like some green cardboard, and then he was like, Really? 
So and he, it sort of ruined his enjoyment of making that film. And I, I think, I don't know, that, that also kind of reminds me a little bit of that time when or the the moment from The Hobbit set where Ian McKellen broke down because he was like, because he wasn't really acting towards anyone in those movies. He was just acting towards like a green screen and said like, this isn't why he went to drama school and things like that. So I, I think those scenes with Sam and Frodo, I think it, it I think it benefits so much from having Andy Serkis on set and something that they can react to and act. And it's just, yeah, it is a CGI character, but at least, you know, the actor is there to give them something in, in that moment, in those moments. Yeah. The, the tangible nature of having somebody there when, when Gollum and Sam and Fro- when, when we first meet Gollum and they and they have their scuffle, the, the hobbits and Gollum, they're, they are fighting an actual person. You know, Andy Serkis is on set you know, covered in his balls and his suit, but they are there. So they, they can hold on to him. So obviously as a point of reference for the animators, excellent. But for the actors, they haven't got to pretend to be in, in peril. They haven't got to pull funny faces and pretend they're getting throttled. They are. Do you know what I mean? In, in movie terms, like they, they are. To, it's like they don't have to imagine like what, what it is. Like they have like Andy Serkis is like the way that he, you know, the way that he, his body like looks and yeah. things like that. I think that's just, it gives you something to do in those scenes instead of just being like, oh my God, it's like, I hope CGI makes this look good in post and, <laughs> and things And like if it that. hadn't, it would really have clanged as well. Same as, the same as with things like episode one, because um, listeners to the show will know, but over on Star Wars Sessions, we, we interviewed Ahmed Best a couple of months ago and oh, he good. discussed um, all of the, how we got into the role and also the use of motion uh, capture and how it was, it was Ahmed himself and oh, it's George, but Ahmed... Yeah, yeah was the pioneer of that and he said it himself without the work we did you know where to workshop would never have been able to play with Gollum Marvel would never be able to have Thanos and and all these characters and obviously the planet of the apes as well so it's interesting tie-ins there to episode one but uh, you know the Lord of the Rings trilogy especially Two Towers and Return of the King blew it out of the park in terms of motion capture so yeah I agree the seamless integration of CGI practical sets miniature models and you know real people was was wonderful i mean obviously there, there may be a few issues here and there but you know it is an incredible feat of filmmaking and i'm just retur- referring to this film in, but of course in in terms of the trilogy unrivaled but even just for this film the scope and the scale is outrageous and uh, obviously you said just now that it looks just as good now as it did back in 02 did you see it in 2002 or were you later to the party I, I saw it. I saw it at the uh, Ritzy Picture House in in London nice. when it came out in two thousand and two. I went with uh, my mum and my brother, and uh, that was a really really great experience because, um, like, we went to go see the film, uh, the first film the year before that in America in this really 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 tiny cinema in Vermont in northern East America and that was kind of a great experience because I knew nothing about Lord of the Rings before going into it. I knew like I'd seen the trailer playing in front of a film. I can't remember which one. And it was just mesmerizing and just being dragged into this world that felt really real. And, and then just being a bit disappointed when it ended because you wanted to see more of it. And then you realize, oh shit, there's another film, you know, coming next year and stuff. So I was really, really excited to go see it opening day. It was like big screen packed, great audience. It was just, it was, it was amazing. And I think it, it, 
I it was when it came out on DVD, I really wanted to watch it again. And it was when it, as soon as it came out on DVD, and it was one of those movies I that we had and just watched it, rewatched it so many so many times that at that point I could just I me, 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 memorized all like bits of dialogue and things like that. It was, it, it's such a it's such a great film, and I think what Peter Jackson and his crew, casting crew, did was fantastic. And I think it's amazing how they they did all those three films back to back instead of just coming back year after year and being in New Zealand and using the locations and, you know, and cause I feel like that's what, I think that's what the Hobbit missed a little bit. And a few other things as well, but I think the Hobbit, you know, it lacked that, that sort of realistic authenticity to it that the two towers had and all the other films had, cause it felt really, I think they went a bit too far with the, digital stuff and mm-hmm. make it a little bit look a bit like a computer game and well, that's so know, many issues with production in terms of getting it done and peter yeah. jackson he, he said himself he's winging it you know he's writing scripts on in on the morning and the yeah. studio had far too many far too high aspirations for a film without any uh any threat of giving peter jackson any leeway yeah exactly it, it, but it still didn't turn like- out very good yeah I, I always imagined what it would have been like if guillermo del toro made the hobbit I think that would have been much more interesting. Just, I think, just, I think, his, his, like his style mixed in with the J.R.R. Tolkien world would have been something special. Yeah. Uh, and Peter Jackson, I think, was going to produce it anyway, so they still would have had Peter Jackson yeah. on. You know, I'm assuming he would have had a much more hands-on role than some other producers. But so you would have yeah. had. It would have still yeah. felt like it was in that world, but it would have had those 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 bonkers or those excellent uh, fantasy flourishes that Del Toro would have bought. It could yeah. have been, especially because The Hobbit is, a, like we all know, it's about 100 odd pages. To make three yeah. films out of it is outrageous. To give Del Toro two films, <laughs> an hour and a half, two hours maybe per film, yeah. and just say, right, run wild. That could have been. It's, it's one of the great what ifs of modern cinema for me. Yeah, I think just just thinking about it now, because I feel like even though like there's a lot going on in all three films, and especially there's a lot going on in Two Towers, there's like multiple storylines going on and you know it cuts back and you know you have Merry and Pippin with the Ents and then you have Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli with what's going on in Rohan and Frodo and Sam are off on their journey into Mordor and he's slowly Frodo's slowly becoming more corrupted by the ring and affecting his relationship with Sam and everything that he's doing and of course Gollum is there and it's just but it's able to it's so well paced and it's really held together really nicely and it never feels like I mean, even though, like, I, I, do you prefer the extended editions or the theatrical editions? Well, this is the million dollar question, isn't it? I think the first, for me, I'm glad I saw the theatrical versions first so I could warm to them and, you know, really love those. So then when I saw the extended versions for the first time, it only added to to what I saw first. I think had I seen the extended ones first, I still would have loved them. But obviously these the, the theatrical ones are tighter versions. However, now... I only watch the yeah, extended yeah. versions. Yeah, I do like the extended versions. I do like what they put back in. It's quite it's quite interesting, but I think watching it and also just coming at it from someone who's studied films and things like that, you can kind of understand or you can see why they probably cut that out in the theatrical edition or anything like that. But I do I but having said that, I do like watching the extended editions. They're they're great fun. Yeah, I did watch the extended edition for this particular episode, not to not so we could dive into said scenes, but again, I've for some, now that I've seen those extended versions, I'm so used to those little moments which are in 
the film. And I agree with you. There are certain scenes which you could take the fact that they weren't in in the first place speaks volumes, but there are others which do add some wonderful uh, context to uh, other actors. Like there's a scene with Boromir, quite a few in into two towers, which actually makes Boromir a lot more of a sympathetic character and fleshes out him out greater. But did it need to be in the theatrical? Probably not. Mm. I did like that scene with Boromir. I think Boromir is a very interesting character and very conflicted. And there's so much kind of going on with him because he has this sort of loyalty to his father played by, um, I think his name is John, John Noble. John Noble, Noble, yeah. And also to his people and sort of being blinded by the fact that they can use the ring for their survival and, and things like that. And I think it makes us, you know, you know, he nearly well, kills Frodo mm-hmm. or does he nearly goes over the edge. And I think he does redeem himself at the end of the film, but it's, it's interesting looking at the relationship that sort of, the sort of tease for the relationship between Faramir and Denethor in, in the third film and just sort of, you know, laying the seeds for that was really, really nice. Yeah. It, it's little moments like that, that now, you know, what's coming. It adds that extra, yeah. that's an extra little, like warm little comfort, comfort bubble there. But again, if you, you don't need to see the extended editions to enjoy these films, we didn't in no, in no. the original runs, and we all came out loving this. I, I also saw this in two thousand and two. I did read the books as a youngster. My dad basically gave me this like two house bricks sized books, and he's like, "Right, read these." I'm, I'm nine, but I read them, and this film especially. There's there's two moments I'm going to mention later, which yeah. are visually seeing them on screen, even now in, in the mid thirties they still take me back to being that young lad again, because they are exactly how I pictured them whilst reading the book. Uh, what, how Tolkien described them and then how Peter Jackson took those words and visualized them is exactly how young me um, realized them. So maybe I'm the intelligent one here. Probably not, but you know, I saw this in 2002 as well. And this is my favorite of the trilogy. And like you say, the first one, it's, it's a bit more adventurous. Um, there's a bit more stuff, a bit more hope in there. This one is there's a lot more, there's a much somber tone to this one. The whole film is building up to the uh, to the big finale, and you know it, it is a lot oh, somber. I use that word again. Whereas Return of the King, you get the big moments, and it's a lot more triumphant as we get there. So um, let's do it. So for the next well, it's an hour, give or take, Anders and myself, we're just going to be discussing what we do on the back row retrospectives, gushing about this film, uh, the moments or scenes or sequences or whatever it is that we dug, we're going to talk about it now and we're going to unabashedly say how great this film is. So, Anders, let's kick it off. What's one of the your favourite moments or one of the moments that stands out for you in this film? I think one of the moments that really stands out for me is actually a really nice character moment and it happens later in the film. It's with Mary and Pippin when... Um, when they're with the Ents and they're trying to sort of, they're struggling to get the Ents to kind of get on board and actually, <laughs> you know, get in the fight basically. And there's just, there's, there's the, there's that line where Mary, where Mary says, but you're part of this world. And then it's just really si- silent and the music comes in and it's just him trying to like, why don't you guys do something? You will live in this world and it's, they'll destroy you and things like that. I just, I really like that moment. And also there's a really nice development with Mary and also with, a little bit with Pippin, like with Pippin, it comes a little bit later into the film when he's off with Gandalf to Minas Tirith and, and things like that. But at that point, you know, being away from the Shire and seeing everything and being taken out of their comfort zone, you know, he come, comes to this realization that, you know, you know, things are 
happening that will will affect our way of life and we can't exactly go home because this evil will follow us and it will it will consume us and things like that so i feel i really like those little character moments and just moments of all just characters having coming into conflict and you know the truth of who they are especially aragorn who's you know slowly coming into his uh you know slowly coming to realize that i have to kind of you know, get on board to, you know, save my people, save men from the orcs and, and things like that. The 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 Pippin and Merry one is a excellent choice. And uh, as a disclaimer, as, is, as with the Fellowship, do uh, forgive me for all getting their names mixed up every single time. But Merry, I, I agree, he does have, he gets, he gets the development more so in this film. And yeah, Pippin's comes in the next one. But uh, following on from that, when the Ents won't fight and Merry is devastated. Now it's Pippin who thinks, you know, maybe, maybe like you said, maybe we should go home to the Shire. Maybe our, maybe this is too big for us. And the way Merry says, you know, there won't be a Shire Pippin. It, we see his, we see how he has developed now from when we saw him in the first one. He realizes the stakes now. Merry is all in on this and Pippin, God bless him. He's very slowly. The wheels are starting to turn in his head. But that was the start of the realization because obviously later on he then um, tricks Treebeard into going south. It always feels like you're walking downhill when you're going south. So they'll go past Isengard and he'll see you know his fallen comrades, his friends, his trees slain by that bastard Saruman. Uh, and so we get to see Merry, no Pippin. There we go, first one of the show. We get to see Pippin have a little turn at the end as well. But I think. Um, I think they were used well in this film. And a lot of people say that they are the, their least favorite part of the film. But I think again, every member of this film, this ensemble has a part to play that it's like a domino effect. Without that, this doesn't happen. So um, that's a top shout to start with. There's no wasted character at all. Like everybody has like a purpose, as you mentioned into the story and everyone just feels like where they need to be to move it along. Yeah. And that's testament to the wonderful writing and the team involved in, in doing that, because I can't imagine how much of us, we mentioned the scope and the scale, how big a job this was to, we've seen other films with smaller casts of ensembles somehow managed to not give each character their own time or their due time on screen. And there's always somebody who feels under, underdeveloped. And though the Hobbits get less screen time overall, and I include Sam and Frodo in that, in this film, yeah. compared to um, the everyone everyone else in the Fellowship and the newer characters, I still think everybody gets time to shine. Even even characters like Eomer, who comes in, and Eowyn, but Eomer, uh, Judge Dredd himself, Carl Urban, he's only in the film yeah. for a little bit. But I don't feel like his character is sidelined or, um, you know, replaceable of anybody else. So I think that's a good point to start off with. I think, like, I mean, I, I have read the books. It has been quite a long time since I've read them, so I don't really have that much memory of them. In the, in, uh, but I really felt like everyone in the cast was really well-placed for their characters, yeah. especially Carl Urban for, for Aomer. And I just think everyone was just really well-chosen. And it's just, you couldn't, you couldn't really see anyone else playing those characters. I think they were really spot on. And I think like, even if, if they did get the wrong person, they probably just, you know, got rid of them straight away and then got the person that they originally wanted. And then, you know, everything was off. Everything was off running. But they did that in the first film, didn't they? Obviously with uh, Aragorn, it was uh, Stuart Townsend, I believe uh, was cast yeah. Aragorn and he turned up and Peter Jackson's like, actually you may be a bit too young. Crap. 
And then yeah. obviously what yeah. happened happened with uh, Vigo coming on. And again, I know it's easy to say with hindsight, but everything fell into place. Like Vigo Mortensen is like such a badass character, great actor to boot as well. Vigo Mortensen is a wonderful actor, but he just, I don't know. You just think Aragorn, even if he's a fictional character, he just is Aragorn. He embodies mm. that character so well. And the, the casting directors on this film, it was uh, Amy Hubbard, Liz Mullane, Victoria Burrows, John Hubbard and Robinson, they deserve an Oscar themselves for the casting choices. And I know we've already got the established characters, but when you're bringing on people like Carl Urban, you get Miranda Otto, we get Bernard Hill, who was magnificent as King Theoden. You get our boy, Brad oh, Dorif, turns up as Grima Wormtongue. Um, Andy Circus, of course, yes, he, he gets a bigger role in this. So, I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, just the excellent choices. It's great. It's great. Great all-star cast. It's so good, and I, it, I, I really like Brad Dorf from the Child's Play movies. And I didn't. I when when I went back to watch two, two Towers again, I was surprised when I was like, "Oh, I, I recognize that voice." Oh shit! It's fucking lucky in, <laughs> in the Two Towers. I didn't realize and in the that. The Exorcist Three. No, so good. He's such a good actor. He's so good. He's, he's he can play everything, but he's very good at playing extremely sinister characters like he does like he does in this film something behind his eyes isn't quite uh, right yeah I, I i mean it's quite funny i was i was looking through like the trivia pages and it was so when miranda otto came onto the set of the film on her first day i think Liv tyler came up and like hugged her and was like finally more women on this <laughs> set or something yeah but um it's 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 so i think like it's it's that chemistry that all that that they all have it's you can just really feel like these people that these actors are having such a joy making these movies and really feel like that they made something really special that you know this these films will endure they will live on and i think that's you know a part of it is down to the casting you know of, of, of the actors that they got into yeah. the film you can tell this is a a group of people not just the cast but the crew as well who have spent years together mm. uh, working together yeah. half the time you know just camping out on set together eating together probably drinking together quite a lot being together and the camaraderie and and, that, and obviously we know the stories about the tattoos that happened afterwards um and the yeah, t-shirts that the cast and crew and the production team wore around new zealand and also lucky bastards i'd love to spend three years in New Zealand with those lit vistas and landscapes as my backdrop. It, this, I, I said in the first film, this, these films have acted as probably the best tourism advert that New Zealand could have ever yeah. hoped for, because I, I would very much like to go one day. Uh, so since I've seen these films, it's been one of my goals, right? I must go to New Zealand, obviously to go to Hobbiton, got to go there, but I want to get one of the helicopter yeah. tours around the Lord of the Rings tours, where they go over all of the locations, just so I can feel like I'm, in this in this world and i didn't ever feel like i was in new zealand while i was watching it yes i've never been there but i didn't feel like this was earth i felt like this was middle earth and i don't know if you've got that vibe too i i yeah you just the films every time i watch them i just i just i don't feel like i'm yeah like you said i don't feel like i'm in new zealand at all i feel like i'm just in middle earth i feel like i'm in a different place that has like you know it has a heart it has a beat to it, it has so many different textures and it just you just it's so like believable i think i think when you're making films like that you just have to have something that just you can really like you know suspend your disbelief a little bit and just you know 
throw yourself and immerse yourself in a film and i think they do that fantastically yeah. and i mean we're talking about major moments i mean to be honest there's so many which is why i was so excited to do this show this is one of my top yeah. five films of all time um and one of mine then i'm going to throw off is we mentioned grima and king Thaden, and after we're introduced to those characters we uh we go to edoras with the with the lads the lads uh it's gandalf legolas gimli and aragorn they they write to Edoras, but before that we get that wonderful shot of the flag of Rohan flying off and landing mm. at Aragorn's feet, which I'm sure we'll mention in a minute. But um, but we see King Theoden, he's under the uh, influence, he's possessed basically by Saruman. He's got Dreamer worm tongue like the devil on his shoulder in his ear. But it's a scene where Gandalf has come to exorcise the demons. He's come to banish Saruman, and it's a beautiful, wonderful shot of Gandalf walking through the middle of the Great Hall. Around him, it's just chaos. You've got you've got fist fights going around, but they're never shown, which I quite like. You just see characters come into frame and exit frame, and a few punches yeah. here. And we're watching Gandalf, you know, just bossing everyone. And after being schooled by Saruman in the first film, you know, Gandalf the White shows his power in this film and knocks Saruman out of the body. But we get a beautiful transitional shot of uh, possessed Theoden into, you know, Bernard Hill, Thaden. And I rewatched this a couple of days ago, and I rewound this a few times to watch the moment from when he turns from, you know, withered old geezer into, you know, into the king. I'm like, that is a wonderful transition. It's almost seamless how it transitions. And um, that I love that scene, mainly for Gandalf, the way he just walks through the middle of this chaos. There is uh, a couple of moments directly after that, which are linked, but... Um, I wanted to mention, but in terms of that scene, favorite of yours, or are you digging that one? Yeah, I really like that scene. And just, I think, yeah, all the all the shots, especially when he's like when he's talking to Thad and all the people are like fighting around him. I really like that. And I think the camera work really sort of it highlights, you know, how p- powerful like Gandalf is now after being being resurrected mm-hmm. and you know, you know, coming back at the turn of the tide and things like that. It's such a really good moment. And I really like that bit of editing. I just thinking about it now, it's really well done the way they 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 made that look really just so seamless. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the sort of the werewolf transformation in the original Wolfman from the 1940s, where they use like little dissolves here and there to like adding when there's more and more makeup getting put put on Lon Chaney yeah. Jr. Well, it's- but that's what all that stuff is great. Again, like Gollum, it's little moments like this that if the technology in 2002 isn't up to scratch or the people wielding that power don't quite have the knack uh, or know how to do it, then it could look a bit naff, to be honest. I was blown away. I was like, this is, and I know this is a proper cliche thing to say, and I hate you know, movie fan cliches. We all do it. But, you know, I've seen films now that don't do have effects as good as that moment. And this is 18 years ago. And this budget was significantly less than the first film, which I found interesting. But um, but after the scene where w- the King Theoden is restored to his his own self and sanity, he was getting there anyway, he falsely finds out that his son, Theodred, has died whilst he was under the influence. Yeah. And he's given a proper funeral. So and then he, he's grieving at his uh, grave site. And he says, you know, alas, these evil days be mine. Then then he looks and says, no parent should have to bury their child and just breaks down and... It's the power in those moments. And it's these films, especially this one do those moments very well. We are here for the action. We're here for the fun and the, 
and and the scale. But these quieter moments like that, it's this is when you this is why you get such seasoned actors, whether on screen or on stage, to pull off these moments. And the more every time I see that film, it just get that moment, so it just gets more powerful. Yeah, that scene is just—it's so good. I think some. I think Bernard Hill. I think he. I think someone met. He met somebody, or I can't remember. He. he I think he overheard that line somewhere, and he asked Peter Jackson to put it into the film. So I think it's really great that he that they were able to do that. Yeah, it's it's, it's not. I like it when actors can try to bring something of of themselves or something you know, per, quote unquote, mm. personal or something he's overheard to the role. Because I mean, I'm sure Peter Jackson and his team could have had written something. Pretty cool. They all yeah. would have lifted whatever Tolkien had written, but it also just it just adds a humanity to the to the film in, in such a big epic fantasy. It bring it grounds it in that level of humanity, which and it is true. I mean, yes, nobody wants to grieve for anybody, but you know, you you don't want yeah. to have to imagine the unimaginable pain of burying your own child. And, but especially when the King Thaden wasn't even aware of it, he's woken up from this horrible fever dream to find this horrible uh, truth out. And it's that kind of weight upon it's weight, so which makes that scene even more powerful. Yeah. And the music really helps elevate the emotion from that scene. And I think Howard Shaw, like, he wrote some amazing music for this movie, especially like, just the music that the like all the different themes for the different places like Rohan mm. and Gondor and 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 the and just the fellowship and all that stuff and even just thinking about it now the music's playing in my head and it just kind of makes you want to watch the movies again it's like i don't i, I when i was at film school we had um uh we during like we had a talk uh, like a masterclass uh, talk with um Jan Harlan, who produced uh, some of Stanley Kubrick's films, and he was talking about how, like, you know, he, he was talking about how important music is, and not just music like people singing and things like that, but just how, like, how important music is. And if you come out of a film, you know, humming it or, you know, just it playing it around in your head or something like that, it's like, then it shows how important it is and how, you know, how mm-hmm. memorable. It, it all is. And I think the music in these movies are, I mean, the music in these movies is, is, is amazingly memorable. I think it's so, and it just adds to, you know, it's, it's, it's soft and quiet and, and emotional when it needs to be, but then also it like picks up the tempo and makes it really exciting and thrilling when, you know, when, when needed be in moments of peril when anytime an orc shows up <laughs> or anything like Ooh, that. Yeah. A score at, at, at worst, the score has to complement what's happening on scene, but at best, it elevates. Mm. We all know the story of John Williams and Star Wars. And you imagine those films about John Williams, good yeah. films with John Williams. And any, to be fair, anything John Williams touches, but then obviously the Hans Zimmer. But Howard Shaw, what he did with these films is, I, I, I can't fathom it. I've always said I can't imagine what goes on in a composer's head having to having to create these sounds in his head with, you know, to think, right, I'll have this instrument there and actually let's have this over there and piece up, you know, hundred, anything up to hundred different instruments going on at once in his head. And Oh, bloody hell. But like you say, the fact that these, all three of these endure, but it's the, it's the little moments as well. It's the moments where you don't necessarily mm-hmm. notice a score, but it's there and it's, f- and it's fueling the emotion of the scenes and whether it rises to its crescendo or not. But in those big moments as well, like Helm's Deep, which I know we're going to speak about later on, I imagine. But uh, it's just and the way they even use like the on the on screen 
happening. It's like it might you might have a troll bashing a drum and it's incorporated into the score. But this like the 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 Rohan the Riders of Rohan score. Oh, God damn it! If you know, I I I ran the marathon London five years ago, and I remember having that came on to came on my mix. Just had a playlist going. I was like, right, really? do you know what? My legs have gone, nice. but my dad. But if the riders of Roham or Rahiram can take on the, the, these swathes of orcs, and I can take on this, and honestly, what Howard Shaw did was nice. breathtaking in this, and it's probably my favourite mm. collection of music from any film. I love the Star Wars yeah. soundtrack, as everybody knows me knows that, and other soundtracks. But I just think as a body of work, what Howard Shaw did was unrivaled for me. No, I totally agree. I think he's he's definitely one of the sort of top composers that even like Hans, Hans Zimmer as well, or, uh, you know, the late great Ennio Morricone, rest in peace, he made fantastic music as well. I think it's just, they they just, they really got it. Like you can just, I mean, even with people like Ennio Morricone or Howard Shaw, you can just like, you know, you can turn off like all the sounds of the film and just have the music playing over the images and you can just really feel everything that's happening. And it's just, it, you, you can just have the music. Yeah, that's that a fantastic way of, of putting it. If, if you can eke out the emotion and store, if you can create a story through your music, then you've done a lot of the director's work for him. So um, in terms of other major moments, then what have we got? What have you got on your list? You're probably quite a long list of uh, poems. Uh, I I don't know I don't I I read somewhere that Peter Jackson wasn't a huge fan of it mainly just from a like a filming point of view but I really liked the warg rider scene when the you know the warg riders show up and when yeah, they're yeah. on their way to Helm's Deep I think that that's that's a pretty good action sequence it's really nice sort of like you know taste of what's to come and things like that and also it you know there's like there's that little moment where you think like oh Aragorn he's dead when you know he's not he's going to come back and it's save everyone like the the but like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> spoilers <laughs> but no, i think i'd also it's it's also quite it's it's quite a you know high stakes scene because you know they're on horses and they're charging you know orcs riding giant wolves and there's so women and children like, right behind them there's some real, yeah there's some real like high stakes there a little bit and also you kind of get the feeling that you know this will be a bit of a a victory, but like a bit of a sour victory because they'll lose some men that they will they will need later on in the movie. Because you know these guys are on their own, and you know Rohan is you know right for the for the taking from Saruman's Saruman's point of view. And uh, yeah, that 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 sequence is pretty good as well. And also there's some really nice bit of comedy from John Rhys Davis as Gimli. Every time he like kills an orc or a wolf, it like piles in on him, and he has to like push it up and stuff. I just I think that I think like John Rhys Davis, he just does like him and Legolas, him and Orlando Bloom, their little chemistry that they have is is so good. It's like I can't see what's happening. Would you like me to describe it to you? <laughs> should I get you a box? Oh, 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 it, and it makes those big moments pay off. Or um, in the third film, yeah. all of the fun that they get because obviously they they start off as that's the, the Hobbit trilogy shows. You know, elves and dwarves don't get on, and you get that from the Fellowship. They. Yeah, they don't spend long dwelling on it, but you get that there's a rivalry in this film. There's still a rivalry, but it's more of a competitive rivalry when they're keeping count of how many people they're killing and um, and the stuff yeah. he calls him like pointy ears and stuff like that. Um, I yeah, John Reese Davis. I I think he's excellent. I know he uh, voices Treebeard as well, but I love John Reese Davis in these films, and I'm glad you mentioned the comedy because a lot of it comes from him, but it never feels tapped. It never feels yeah. like oh, here comes Gimli. The, the comedy character or the jester. Yeah. It feels right for the character in those moments, yeah. Here's one walk on top of you. Okay, here's an orc. Let's snap his neck. 
a bloody hell, another walk, and then that falls on him. But it it works because it it doesn't feel like it's taken away yeah. from the scenes. And I hate to mention the Phantom Menace again, but we no, get no, the no. Battle of Naboo. We got Jar Jar and the Gunguns facing against the droids. You get Jar Jar, yeah. Ahmed Best, God bless his, God bless him. You know, taking down droids by being an idiot, basically, and it takes away from the stakes. Whereas this, the way they use comedy in, like you just said, high stakes battle, testament. No, I just think like I feel like I'm, I've seen in quite a few big action movies where like they do inject a little bit of comedy, but then it's a bit too much. I've seen that quite a bit in some of the Marvel movies, and it's a little bit like, do we need to have so much comedy? Do you have to yeah, quit? It so takes much? you. It takes you at the moment, and I know that may be what the characters are known for, but I I'm very much the kind of guy that if you're trying to build stakes, let's build it here. Have moments in between for fun, but make sure the focus is always on the battle and not thinking right. Like, where's the next joke going to come, or the next, you know, like you say, next like, wise wise crack. Um, and they do it well in the in in these films, I think, and uh, that's something I'm very pleased about because again, whilst these films are excellently written, wonderfully executed, presented, there is always that tightrope that one thing could derail it. We mentioned Gollum. Had that clanged, the film suffers, as does the third one. If the comedy, if the writing isn't up to par with the gags and how they're written, then we have a situation where these stakes are lowered or uh, the the epic scope is, you know, pushed back a little bit in in terms of crowd pleasing. And I think they get the right balance of world building, staying true to the material. I know there's a lot of things that have changed, and given those crowd pleasing moments that have drawn in so so many people. One of the things I wanted to mention because I know we're kind of, we're building up to the big one, but there are so many other <laughs> character moments. And one of, one of the ones I wanted to mention was because there are subplots within subplots. You mentioned the romance, obviously Eowyn and Aragorn, mm. but Arwen, I love how Arwen comes across in this film when, you know, we, we get the strand, which is taken over from the first film where originally we see uh, Aragorn's discussing Arwen's life with Elrond. It's a flashback. Uh, and she you know, he wants her to mm. sail to the undying lands with the rest of her kin. And then she wants to remain mortal. And she's talking to her father, Elrond, played by the Hugo Weaving himself. Agent Smith. <laughs> Agent, that's it, Agent Smith. Um, and he's, uh, he's basically saying that Aragorn will die and you will linger on in darkness. And there's a great shot of her over Aragorn's tomb. And he gives this wonderful, wonderful monologue of how, you know, whether by the sword or the slow decay, Aragorn will die. There'll be mm. no comfort for you. And you will linger on in darkness and in doubt as nightfall in water that comes without a star and... I was like, bloody hell, Hugo, come on. You know, yeah, he, he, he didn't always say it so beautifully, but Christ. And then you get a great shot of the elves moving through uh, the forest with their lanterns and over the bridge of Rivendell. Mm-hmm. But how Arwen is written and used in this film and how that ties into Aragorn's story with Eowyn, who immediately sees him and thinks, as I would, this, this, <laughs> this Aragorn's pretty a beefcake. And then as soon as Faramir comes into the picture, yeah. well, I like him now, but um, yeah, you know, I like how Arwen is played in this film, used in this film. I, yeah, I do. I think Liv Tyler, she's really good. I think she was well, like, I mean, all of them were well cast, but I think she was really well cast for that character. And I think just, I think that relationship really worked and like all the flashbacks and stuff, it just really kind of adds to, you know, Aragorn's conflict of, you know, she's going to go off and live with her people in the Undying Lands and he probably will never see her again and having to sort of come to terms with that and also just kind of coming to terms with who he is and, you know, what she thinks of him and, and I think it's it, it, it adds, you know, just so much to what he's going through, and also just given how his, you know, race of, you know, of men or, you know, their their lives are being affected by Saruman and Sauron, and 
and people like that. And it's, I mean, even though it is a little bit of a love triangle, it's used in a very sort of nuanced sort of way that ever really like, it never becomes like really, I don't know, almost Shakespearean. Like it's, it's done in a very kind of like subtle sort of way that doesn't sort of become too like soap opery. Yeah, you never want to get out and think, don't, don't overstray, tread your boundaries here. You're in love with Arwen. It's, it's, it's yeah. written well. And Eowyn, thankfully, is a, she's a strong character, strong female character, strong character mm. in her own right. Um, so she has that to fall back on. Without that, it, she would just be seen as, oh, look, here's, here's a pretty guy. I fancy this guy. And that would be her story. Thankfully, they wrote her a lot more than that. And I like the character of Eowyn, actually. And I really like her going forward as well. But, um, so I wanted to mention how that plays into that, um, like you say, little love triangle and that other strand which the film handles. Um, what about yourself? What else are you, what else are you um, salivating at about this film? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, also, I like all the scenes with Christopher Lee, the Saruman, that bit when he has that little monologue conversation with Sauron where they're sort of talking about their plans and stuff, I think. And it's just... I think he's such a great villain and, you know, Christopher Lee, what a legend, yep. you know, Dracula himself. And um, I like how he, you know, every, you know, pretty much every year until he passed away, he would always read the Lord of the Rings books. And I think, I think he was one of the few people in the production who actually met J.R.R. Tolkien. And he, one, I think. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that guy's, he's, he, I think he was friends with Ian Fleming as well. Like, I think the stories of Christopher Lee would be amazing to put into like a film or a TV series or anything like that. And he would like give like he, I, he, I think like the art direction people would come up to him and give him like ask him like how would how would how would we do it like this and he's like oh yeah like that. And even when they were like making the Hobbit when they brought him back for um for scenes there, I think there's a really funny behind the scenes video where um. They're, they're shooting his scenes and he's just sitting there, you know, with Peter Jackson and some of the cast members from The Hobbit. And he's just like, you know, he's a walking encyclopedia and he's talking about all these stories of his filmmaking life and being an actor. And you could just see the first AD in the background being like, he's been talking for two hours. We have to shoot something. <laughs> but it's Christopher, Sir Christopher Lee. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like the guy you just want to hear like all of his stories. It's just like you don't want to shut him up. <laughs> no, exactly. And uh, he was. This is what two thousand and two. So he would have been working on Attack of the Clones concurrently as well as so going back and forth. So um, yeah. the man was a workhorse and a bloody fine actor as well. And yeah, I agree. As he brought that gravitas and to the role of uh, Saruman. And I know he went for Gandalf, but again, pitch perfect casting with Serene McKellen. But Christopher Lee. He has that. He has that menace, doesn't he? This is just his voice is menacing, but he's just his eyes and the way he can just pierce through you. He is a wonderful Saruman, and how he and then when he comes to work alongside, or he recruits Grima, who snivels his way up to him, and he get he get a wonderful shot where Saruman shows his army, the army of Isengard, and he's so pleased. And the moment where Grima just has a single tear rolling down his face. Yeah. Firstly, well, on that. Why do you reckon? Why, why do you reckon Grima is crying in that scene? What is it about? Do you think he's crying for for like, wow, this is great, or oh shit, what, what have I done? Uh, I think it's a mixture of like, this is amazing, but at the same time, holy shit, look at all these inbred orcs that we've created and things like that. And it's just like, I think it's like a, it's like a mixture of like being astounded, but at the same time, very frightened, like. It's, you know, must be so much going through his mind that, you know, he's brought a 
you know, in his mind, he's brought upon the death of man and all these people that he's come to know and love. And like in that same evening, you know, they're all going to be dead. So, you know, it's, it must be, I don't know, so many conflicts going on. I just love that moment when he's talking with them. It's like, even if they could bring it down, it would take, you know, thousands of people to do it, tens of thousands. But my Lord, there is no much, uh, uh, no army. Oh, right, there is. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, these guys just turned up just then to, to, at that moment. Great. Yeah, no, it's great. It's fun to see Brad Dorif trading off against Sir Christopher Lee, two great actors. Um, but yeah, Christopher Lee is, it's a shame, obviously, his role in the third gets sidelined. I, I say that in terms of, it's Christopher Lee, isn't it? Of course, the story required that. But he's so, so he's so very good. He elevates most of the, most of the things he's in. And, and this yeah. as well. I mean, he's, the, the film is no, no worse off for him being in this film. He's wonderful in this. And the backstage stories, uh, off-screen stories are wonderful. And obviously the DVD, I say every time, the best selection of extras of all time are these three films. If you've got a spare six six months, <laughs> go and watch all of the extras. They're incredible. There's a lot to get through. But they're all wonderful. If you, if you want to know how a film is made, the craft of film and the passion and the love and the sweat and the knowledge and everything else you're going to need, just watch, and also the luck, watch those extras because you, you can learn an awful lot. And I imagine it turned a lot of people onto the idea of getting into film for that. Mm. But um, I wanted to mention, I think it's quite um, important we mentioned as well, The we've yeah. mentioned uh, the the lads, Gandalf and the Fellowship, and we've mentioned the Love Triangle, and we've mentioned this out there, uh, Sam and Frodo. So before we move on to the big climax of the film or any other little moments we liked before that, but Sam and Frodo, so we need to, and Gollum as well, that dynamic. Um, they are sidelined for this film for uh, to an extent for the right reason because we, we need to have the bigger picture. Um, how, how do you, I really like how, how they're used and I like how we see the ring is literally and physically yeah. weighing on Frodo now. He, he begins to snap at Sam throughout and his moods and his attitude shift and he pulls he pulls Sting on his mate. Yeah. It's it's quite frightening just seeing how like just the moment when they're talking about Gollum and then he sounds like you can't save Mr. Frodo and then he like says, What do you what do you know about him? Yeah. Nothing. And it's like even watching that in the cinema and being, I don't know, I think it was like eleven years old at the time and being a little bit frightened by it and just being like, Oh shit, like just seeing how you know, when they're in the marshlands and he's just like Sam is asleep and Gollum's off, you know, doing his thing, and you think Frodo's asleep and no, he's just, you know, stroking the ring and just it's, you know, it's you can just see like the toll that it's taking on him and you know the the physical and psychological toll of it, and but knowing that you know he, he still has to do it, but then at the same time you're thinking to yourself, are you going to destroy the ring? Are you gonna- <laughs> How do you plan on doing this? And if you do get there. <laughs> Are you? I love it. Yeah. I love how we and again we see like the scars around him, and we just see his face change and his demeanor, his actual demeanor. It's great uh, work by Elijah Wood too. Um, yeah, there are like people like Ian McKellen doesn't put a foot wrong, and Christopher Lee is just powerful presence, and that Viggo Morton's excellent. Elijah Wood, I think he's very good as uh, Frodo, and I don't think he always he gets the credit he deserves. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's because the 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 other the other characters maybe have bigger moments or they are bigger presences on screen, but, and obviously sure. And Sean Astin is wonderful. And I especially think he's really good in this film, Sean Astin as Sam was, but I think, um, yeah, Elijah Wood often gets slightly short shrift or am I just going mad? 
he does occasionally get forgotten about a little bit because every you when you talk about these movies, you always talk about like oh Ian McKellen as Gandalf or Viggo Mortensen as mm. Aragorn and all these other things, all the battle sequences and you know Andy Circus. But you know he is like the main, the first you know after the prologue scene in Fellowship of the Ring, he is like the main character. He is the Luke Skywalker of the movie that we see well through his eyes, and we see it. We you know we see how it like everything through him. So I think you know he is he is very important to the story. He is the the person that we you know at times we we sit on his shoulders and see everything through him, and then we swap and go to Aragorn or Merry or Pippin or or whoever. But you know he is still the main protagonist. Like everything hangs on him. Like if he doesn't you know destroy the ring, you know it's done for. It's like yeah. you know, that was the point. I think you know he and also Elijah Wood's performance is 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 really good, but also just. Just Sean Astin, his performance. I, I think, like in so many ways, I think, I think he was robbed of an Oscar nomination. I think Sean Astin for this that moment at the end when he gives that speech about you've got to hold on to hope and there's still good in the world for, worth fighting for, which is a good speech for the world of today. And Sadly, yes. Like that. It's just it's such a like little moving moment, and I'm really happy they actually went back and reshot that monologue and put it in the film. Because they just, I think, originally they just shot with him when he says, like, I can't do this, Sam. And it's like, I know, I, I, you know, we shouldn't even be here. And he goes and looks out the window. But then they realized that they needed something in there to kind of add a little bit more. And I think it's such a nice little moment to kind of end on the film and just highlight the main theme, which is, you know, there's a lot of evil in the world. There's evil still there, but there's still hope. And, you know, there's still good people worth, who are, you know, worth fighting to save the world, basically. Yeah, and and it's probably the bit is coming from the 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 right character to pass that off as well. We say the endless optimist, and until the end of the third film, to to an to one point, he lets his guard down in the third film. But it, Sam was always there to help Frodo, and Frodo himself even says at the end, you know, mm. Sam wise to brave Frodo yeah. isn't go. He isn't winning this. He's not going anywhere. And if Sam finally seems to accept his place in this. That actually, do you know what? I yeah. maybe I have been, you know, just what Mister um, Frodo needed and. I, I, I think mm. again, their uh, dynamic together works. The chemistry is wonderful, and on screen, the characters are great. And we're um, at the moment on on Osgiliath, it's burning, and um, we've met Faramir by now. David Wenham, who is introduced as Boromir's brother, despite looking not that much like Boromir, um, and we get the scene where Frodo offers the ring to the wraith on the Nazgul, and Sam saves him there, and Frodo draws Sting on him. And that again, it's a frightening moment. Great shot, like Frodo that big close lost. up of him holding the sword up at Sam. I think that's a great little moment. Yeah, and it shows that he even says, yeah. "I can't do this. I can't do this, Sam." Having just tried to give the ring to the one of the people you don't want to be giving it to, because that um, the Nazgul probably would have chomped him afterwards as well. But so, yeah, I think their dynamic is is excellent. And even again, we we mentioned like the comedy or the yeah. fun moments. Uh, earlier in the film, we get the classic film, the classic moment of uh, Paul Tatoes uh, <laughs> with Gollum and uh, Gollum, and just, uh, just after Gollum and Smeagol are arguing. Yeah. And then you got the one good, one bad. Sam puts the rabbits in a stew, the stupid fat hobbit. Now, what's Taters? Paul Tatoes. Uh, again, nice bits of comedy which don't derail the film. Yeah. My brother uses that sometimes. The He says that to me the potatoes, boil and mushroom, stick them in a stew. <laughs> We usually quote occasional lines from the movie sometimes, especially one, I don't know, I don't know, one time he was making pasta or something and he gave me like 
just tr- told me to like try a bit of pasta, touch it. It's quite cool. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> nice it's, it's funny how those moments become like every day. I say the potato thing far more than I should admit. <laughs> good taters. That's it. And he does a good. He does a good um, sort of Western West Country accent. Yeah. Sean Aston, especially when you hear him talk normally. But and again, fun moments. Uh, you know, this is Samwise Gamgee, mm-hmm. his bodyguard, his gardener. Fun moments like that. Um, and I think that their their story together is great. How did you find the the introduction of Faramir and how he's used and kind of his little turn in the film in as well? I think yeah, I really liked Faramir as as a character i think he's you know at one i think he's a little bit more sort of he's he's very much the opposite of boromir who would very much listen to his father and if you know you know if boromir didn't you know die he probably would have taken the ring from frodo and taken it to his father and then everyone would have been mm-hmm. fucking dead but like <laughs> but i think you know he has that little moment where he could have easily he could have, you know, he could have taken the ring and given it to his father, and but he, you know, he does the noble thing, and I think that he's he's one of the good ones who, you know, listens to sense and doesn't and realizes that this is wrong. We shouldn't have this, and you 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 are practically the only person who can do this. And if you and if you're going to do it, I won't stop you. And if mm-hmm. the, and if and I and I like I really like his performance, and I think he, I mean, yeah, he does look a little bit like Sean Bean, maybe. Had, but I think when he puts the voice on a little bit, and then he says he, he's my brother, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty obvious. Doing a little impression of Sean Bean there. It was a good one as well with the old uh, Sheffield Sean uh, scene Bean. Uh, I'll have to go back and rewatch it because I need to be convinced that, um, especially when you get a shot of them looking at Faramir and they're like, they kind of look at him as if to say, "You look so familiar," or "Oh, you could be Boromir." Like, well, maybe if you're, you've had a few too many shire pints and you've squinted a bit, but um, still, I can buy that they are brothers in in the film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the extended edition gives you that backstory with uh, Boromir, Faramir, and their crazy father Denethor, which, like we mentioned earlier on, it sets up what's going to happen in the third film. It gives it just that little bit more context as well. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I thought, obviously, we had to mention the the heroes of the film and how they go along, but. Um, before we get to Helmsdip, were there any other moments, big or small, that you wanted to chuck out? I think I really like in this sort of in the build up towards Helm's Deep battle. I really like Bernard Hill's monologue when he's putting on his armor and everyone's getting ready to sort of you know do battle. I think in him talking about you know times gone past and things. I think just that is a little bit of a nice character moment and all those little moments. And I do like. I know it's. I know it's probably not in the books, but I do like it when the elves show up and they're ready to sort of fight with with the fight with the men once more. I think that was that was a really nice sort of uplifting moment where everyone's kind of looking like, yeah, we might survive this <laughs> and things like that. But it's <laughs> we might. Everyone that failed and thought they would. But it's it's a really nice moment, yeah. and, and also just I like how you know Aragorn. He steps over that little threshold where, you know, when Legolas is like, all these men are going to die. And then he's like, well, and then I will die as one of them. He's made like a choice in his character yeah. to be like, I am Aragorn. I am a man. I'm, you know, these are my brothers and I will fight and die alongside with them if need be. And I think that's a moment where he sort of accepts his destiny and like nearly he's like, he's nearly sort of, you know, like Elrond says to him in Return of the King, you know, put away the you know, the ranger become who you were born to be and things like that. And that sort of really sets himself up for 
his arc in the third film. So that those little moments before the battle, I really like those little two moments because it's just nice to see, you know, just to see some really nice little character depth and, you know, real like because like there's a lot of like and I really feel like Peter Jackson he takes you on this like really emotional roller coaster through these movies where you just really feel all the emotions of the characters and you just you know there's a lot of emotion like driving and characters driving the action and and especially like in the Helm's Deep battle there's so much riding on them you know having a victory and everything like that because you know they don't they're, they're, mm-hmm. there's no third film basically but no there's a lot of like <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like character moments and you know emotion really driving the story and i think with good action you do really need that to really have a mo- like audiences like emotional investment with it and things like that yeah and that's something action films don't you get right a lot in these modern times is that you have to care about the characters and there needs to be weight and emotion behind it you can't just say oh well something bad happened in my past therefore i must kill everyone i come across it needs to be more and it's not just uh, positive either i mean in that wonderful scene like say of Thayde and getting ready with the bright light behind him and yeah the wonderful like people walking past and he it looks so good and in between that is juxtaposed with shots of you know, little kids and the elderly being given swords and they're just like oh no it's not not i thought i don't want to go to i don't want to go to war yeah. and Thayden doubts he's like how did it come to this he yeah. doubts they can win this and he has an arc throughout this battle mm. i mean he starts as a non-believer he's basically like we're not going to win this and he doesn't really do an awful lot i mean he is the king in terms of the fight he does command but it's not till mm. the end of the fight where he kind of thinks right you know what i'm going to throw down and i'm going to make a bloody legacy um yeah. so i agree that's a wonderful shot and before that again he doesn't want to risk open war he sends the citizens to helms deep against yeah. almost everybody's wishes because he doesn't want to be the one responsible for the fall of his kingdom yeah. uh, again can't really blame him for that but because uh, he wants to be held in the same esteem as those who came before him, but yeah, exactly. um, in this on, film you can see the conflict. On, like he is holding on a bit of positive thinking and think like no one has ever you know you know came through the, the you know the gates of Helm's Deep and things like that. And it's like yeah, but have you seen the army that's showing up to kill us? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I love how they, they they even do a quick shot. It's like there's only one weakness in Helm's Deep, and they just show it to us. So it's like right, that's that's playing into the point. But the fact that they do keep saying you know these walls have never been breached. Do you think we'll give it twenty minutes? And I think they might be. Um, a couple of things, and I. What have I got here? They mention man flesh again, so it's always good to hear man flesh. Um, Aragorn says with no irony or humour, Legolas, what do your elf eyes yeah. see? And then we get the they're taking the hobbits to Isengard yeah, quote, which meme. <laughs> yep, it always makes me go onto YouTube and just watch that um, yeah. that little video again. Um, when we meet the riders of Rohan, they're here, and they are here, Gimli is squabbling, and Legolas steps in, and it plays to that dynamic you mentioned earlier on that. Now, Legolas, you know, she's standing up for his little buddy here, whereas, mm. you know, they're showing that actually this fellowship is bringing them together. And if it can bring the elves and the dwarves together, then it can bring anyone together. And they find out that the, or- the Uruk High and the Orcs have been slain, and they think Merry and Pippin are dead, and yeah. Viggo Mortensen breaks his toes, booting the helmet. Um, yeah, I thought that, again, yeah, testament to his character. We chipped his tooth, he broke his toe. Yeah. I think Orlando Bloom broke his ribs. Um, John Reese davis knackered his knee, um, yet they're still running across the terrain like teenagers. Yeah. Um, the the Dead Marshes and the Black Gate of Mordor, they looked exactly like I thought when I was a kid. That was scary. The Black Gate scene is so good. 
honestly, um, even with that, um, the cloth being used as a rock, I can I can dig it because when I'm watching the scene again, it works. You know, well transitioned. The, the scene where we meet Gandalf the White for the first time in Fangorn Forest, and I overlay Christopher Lee and uh, Ian McKellen's voices. I think it was badass. I think. I kind of wish they didn't spoil that in the trailers, but it's still True. quite enough a moment. I, I mean, I, I, and I have issues when they show a bit too much in trailers and then you're like, oh, I've seen the movie. I don't need to pay a ticket or anything like that. I don't have such a huge problem with it, but I feel like it would have been nice just, you know, for people who haven't read the books or anything, you know, or knowing the story or anything, it would have been nice to have that moment kind of saved for the film. But I think it's a good little marketing ploy either way. Especially when they play it up in the film as yeah. ah, look at this big reveal that it isn't actually Christopher Lee, only yeah. to have it in the trailer before. And um, a couple more when Aragorn drifts to the shore, having been um, yeeted off that cliff, I was thinking, yeah. wow, that water's really quite clear. I was like, wow, uh, incredible. Uh, then he sees the massive army marching on Helm's Deep, which gives um, mm. reason for that battle to exist in the first place. So he can then go to yeah. it's warn everyone. And the final one before the battle was. Just Galadriel and Elrond, their little discussion, which eventually convinces uh, Elrond that the elves have to want their alliance and fight. But when she's, you know, she's like, you've seen it too. This quest will claim Frodo's life. Elrond's aware. Faramir only needs to reach out and claim the ring and it'll all be over. Mm. Just those kind of like foreshadowing and a forewarning was like, you realise that actually, oh Christ, as with Boromir, all it needs is Faramir to unwittingly take that ring yeah, exactly. and the entire world falls. I think it's so... Yeah, I, like, I like that little moment. It's sort of like a nice little recapping of what's going on and kind of leading into the battle and just sort of making the audience feel a bit, you know, intense. But even before, like, you know, even when they're like, when Theoden's like, let them come, and then you're just really feeling like, oh, shit, shit's about to go. Probably should have said Things that. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's do it then. Helm's Deep, we, we, we're beating yeah. around the old um, walls, the walls that have never been breached before, apparently. So it's the big set piece. Everybody knows this film for mm. the battle. It's probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, battle he put to film, or at least in the top five. So Helm's Deep, I mean, firstly, where do you start? But, I mean, well, yeah, where do you start? I think it's just like the little quiet moments before you they reveal that you see all the torches of the Orakai marching up and you just hear them their armor clanking and then you cut to like the people under the you know hiding in the caverns or wherever they are and you can hear them and it's just you can just imagine how frightened they are hearing like all this stuff going on and then the music kind of sets in and it's just a really nice moment of tension building and then you just see these guys like bashing their spears down, getting themselves like riled up and scaring the shit out of everybody. And then you have that one guy just shaking with his arrow and then phew, hits one of them. And then you're like, okay, 99. One job. Couldn't even do that. <laughs> yeah. That's a great bit. It's a great way of having to build up attention because we mentioned Howard Shaw's score. Mm. In the build up, there is no need for it. It's just, like you say, it is the pounding of uh, feet and drums. The, and the muted sound from in the caves, mm. and then you, and then you get the silent shots of the men on the, and the yeah. elves on the walls, and then the rain comes down. Now, usually that can be a bit like oh no, such a nice but, yeah, Jesus, the rain works in this scene. You need it. it. It's just that like final piece of the puzzle, and when the rain comes down, it's like right, shit's about to go down. Are you ready for it? Obviously, Gimli's not because he can't see and he may need a box. Picked up at a spot. 
That's it. Uh, as soon as when he hears when he says ladders and he's like, good, I get to kill somebody because everyone's been firing arrows at these people for a few minutes. And um, it just, it's, it's, it's a prop. I think at that point, for me, I think it was one of the best action sequences of all time. And also just mm-hmm. the, the craftsmanship that goes into making that scene work and the months that they put into it. I think it was like, Three months of night shoots and then one month of day shoots and then they had like two out two hundred hours of footage just to like cut into into one film. Jesus Christ! Yeah, and it's just like, and it practically influenced every other action sequence like it. I don't think you would. I mean, just look at any of the scenes on Game of Thrones. I'm sure they looked at Two Towers and thought, okay, how can we like make our scenes better than Two Towers while at the same time not imitating two towers and that's I think, it fly casual but don't look like you're trying to fly casual yeah exactly <laughs> just like i think they do like i think they just i think it, i mean there's a lot of moments there's a really like a lot of great actions moments in fellowship of the ring but i feel like peter jackson he really he really showed his craftsmanship as a director and just i think that it really showed what he could do with action scenes and like making you know, like a really engaging and emotional like sequence that really, it never feels boring. No, nothing. It never feels like I I don't like watching it again and again. There's no moments where I feel like, Oh, you could take that bit out. Like everything Mm -hmm. is there. And there are many moments where even when watching it again, you just feel like, I know like Aoman and Gandalf are going to come and save the day, but there's moments when you watch it feeling like, I don't know if these guys are going to make it. Like you just, it's so like you really just like even when watching it in the cinema for the first time i was so like i knew there was going to be a third film and everything like that but even watching it i felt like are these guys going to be in the third film or yeah. what's happening it's incredible it's just a wonderful like you mentioned the, the direction we, we've just said where do we just where do we begin to even talk about it i mean where do you begin to cro- start crafting the actual battle itself and how peter jackson and his team did it is beyond me and it is the artistic now it's the barometer for which all battle scenes certainly in these like epic films are going to be held up against and i don't think it's going to be beaten for that mix of it's practical there's real people on set of course there is some computer fun going on in the background but for the most part it's real it's happening the amount of people on those sets were outrageous yeah and that is extremely important you know what you're dealing with here you know that the people coming up the ladders aren't going to be you know, in a dispensable CGI orc. Yeah, they're real people in in this uh, makeup and costume, and they look badass. And it's an escalation for me. Like I say it starts off with the quiet volley of arrows. The arrows start. Mm. Okay, so what can we do then? Right, we're going to put ladders up, and we're going to we're going to have the hand to hand combat. Okay, not good yeah. enough. Let's get the bloody let's get a battering ram involved. Let's blow up the bloody wall, and it gets bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. And that's what I like. It doesn't just go balls to the wall to start with. It builds mm. to these moments and to, the, yeah. to exactly to your point where you're thinking, they, they, this is like a legitimate defeat this is going to be. Like everyone's just going to get slaughtered here. And even at the end when when uh, Thales, what can men do against such reckless hate? And Aragorn's just like standing there all hunky, ride out with me for death right. and glory, for our people, for Rohan. They make the last stand, you know. If this is the way we're going out, we're going out fighting for our people, for yeah. Rohan. And of course, it's delight of the fifth day. Gandalf turns up with the Riders of Rohirrim. But from the yeah. start to that moment, it, I totally agree. There's no moments where you're like, "Oh, come on, 
get that. I don't want even the even like the surf sliding down a door with the with the shield. I dig that man when I'm watching it's it. It's a great moment. I love it so much. Even I mean, even like just it's it's ridiculous. But even in the in the context of the scene and just the it makes Legolas more of a you know a fan favorite character. And I think they tried to replicate that a little bit by putting him in the Hobbit film, especially in the, the last one, but. Just the bit where, like, he's let Orlando Bloom is just jumping on rocks that are falling and this, trying to get no. up on the other side of the bridge doesn't exactly have the same sort of effect. No, <laughs> it's a it's, short scene. This as well. That's why I like it. It's short, it's quick, and it's done with. They don't then try to do it again and then again. It's just there. You go here. You go bash, 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 bosh. Done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Legolas is cool. Yeah, it's like keep it simple, like simple but effective. That's that's just the way to go. I think if you, I think you know you. Yeah, he does it. Does it again in Return of the King, but mm. it's one little moment that he has, and it's yeah, and it's paid off nicely when Gimli says that still counts as one. Yeah, see, yeah, but it's in the next film though, which is which is important. Yeah. It's not in the same battle mm. where suddenly he's like flinging himself. He does cool things like um, shoot his arrows at the, uh, the the ties that are holding the ladders up, and yeah. you know they go flat flying down. Great, cool, and anything intelligence, but it's nothing out of the ordinary like jumping on falling rocks uh which i still haven't got yeah. over yet but the yeah. how this is intercut with other scenes as well like we get the chaos of helm's deep we mm. get what's going on with frodo and sam with faramir which starts off slowly obviously and with Gollum, and then leads to osgiliath but then, and of, then we get that the very quiet moments in fangorn with treebeard uh, mary and pippin so everybody in the fellowship is like on screen together we, we we're following all their stories but Again, it doesn't ever feel like I want to be out of one scene into the next. Even the stuff in Fangorn, which is a lot slower, it is, it's all leading to, to a moment. It's not just there to elongate the runtime. It's, we get the scene at Isengard at the end, which, I mean, forgot about that. The Ents attacking Isengard is awesome. Yeah. But um, everything plays together. And it, I don't want, even though I love Helm's Deep, when I'm in Fangorn, when I'm in Osgiliath, I'm not thinking. To a to 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 a point, I'm not thinking. Get me back to Helm's Deep. Obviously, I'm always want to see more of that. But what everything else feels so crucial to the story that um, I'm never together. Everything's connected. And yeah, I'm never thinking. Right, let's have enough of these bloody trees. I want to see you know what's going on with Legolas sliding downstairs. It's very yeah. well edited and connected together. Yeah, it's such. It's just well paced as well. I think like you, it's just especially with such a big film like that, you gotta have a really like masterful editor to like hold that all mm. in, especially for like a near three hour running time. You gotta like you know pay you you gotta pay it off really nice and make the right cuts and everything, and also just keeping the rhythm of the film going because you don't want you know even when you cut away from the battle sequence, you need to make sure there's stuff in between that that keeps you engaged, even and all that and everything like that. Yeah, and there's plenty too. Like I say with the tree beards, mm-hmm. we get you know tree uh, tree beards sees the fallen and burnt trees. He's he's pissed yeah. off now. He's in the game. It's the last march of the oh, Ents. Yeah, no better. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> many of these trees are my friends. Oh, I yeah. should I shouldn't feel sorry for. I shouldn't feel sad when he says that, but I really do. Uh, the whole last march of the Ents. It's all very very big and bombastic, and I love it. Um, and then again, we get little moments of levity in in, in the battle as well. When, yeah, um, Mary and Pippin like 
throwing rocks at the orcs, and then there's a moment where one of the Ents gets set on fire when they like let the water run. He like rushes in and set, puts himself out. I think that was such a really great moment. And, it, and again, it, little moments, fun moments. In, even in Helm's Deep, when the orcs are breaking through the gate and Theoden's got himself speared, Aragorn yeah. and Gimli just sneak off through the side door, and they're going to jump on the bridge, and that's when Gimli says, you, you, you're going to have to toss me. Don't don't tell the elf, and it's like not yeah. a word. Fun little that. moments. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's like in the first film, it's like nobody tosses a dwarf. That's it. <laughs> don't don't tell the elf. Yeah. Well, I, I um, think I think they because they shot these all back to back. I can't remember. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think they shot the scene into towers before they shot the bit with him saying nobody tosses a dwarf. So I think that was a nice little. I think that was a nice little reference. It's an interesting yeah. fact, though. But I like, again, I like how everything ties in thematically from each film to film. Of course, it's a mm. it's based on a existing material, but um, for the big screen, sometimes not the respect isn't always paid. But Peter Jackson clearly has the utmost respect for the source material. Um, and this battle, the way he's brought, honestly, the more I think about it, and rewatching it, I was just found myself looking at different aspects of how they made this and it's mm. it's incredible and again it's like 40 odd minutes long the scope of this and it, it's scope and the scale of this battle and the way they managed to bring it to life even in the not in the dark and by that i mean you could you could use the dark to you know conceal a few dodgy edits or a few bits of dodgy uh, cgi or moments but not at all the way that they use the dark as their friend the weather as their friend everything about it for me is just monumental i can't find the words to say how much i admire this scene and love it mm. because i'm not sure there are the worthy words to say because it is just so masterfully done um i can't imagine how much of us toll it took though three months to film this in yeah. you know in those conditions when they've got the water machines on pounding down you're going to get cold and wet and the physical side of it Jesus Christ, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah I, know. I mean, just hearing like the stories of them, even the cast members on Game of Thrones making that big battle sequence when the you know the Battle of Winterfell and hearing all the stories of that and just how they managed to physically do that because that's mm-hmm. such a like difficult thing to do. And even even, even when they were doing this, because there's so much that, that's going on and it's like, you know, you're waiting around, you've got to make sure that everyone, the crew's ready and then you've got to do it. And there's so much physical work that you have to do and stunt work and, and, and all those aspects. And, like how you manage to keep yourself entertained and things like that. And I read that a lot of the extras who were playing the Urukai, they were doing the hacker to keep themselves energetic and motivated and stuff like that. So that would have been quite an interesting behind the scenes video to see, just to see a bunch of orcs like going, come at it, come at it, and all that. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's monumental. Like, but also I think it, it gets action right in the way that it, in, in the sense of geography where you can just see where everybody is. Like you yes. get a sense like this guy's over there. You got that going on over here. Like it's not, and it's cut together really nicely. Cause I feel like some action sequences today, it's very sort of confusing a little bit. In the, it's very choppy. But it, yeah, it's extremely choppy. And I think that's, I don't know. It's a bit of a, I guess people looked at like Paul Greengrass's Bourne films and thought, okay, we can just do it like that. But he, got away with it because he did it in, in the right sort of way but i feel mm. it with in this film in this sort of context i think peter jackson did a fantastic job and i think i mean looking at his career and looking at what you know everything that was built up towards lord of the rings it's so interesting looking at his body of work before that like yes 
all these body horror films like Bad Taste and then Dead Alive or Brain Dead, depending on where, 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 which country you're in. And then Heavenly Creatures, which he got his first Oscar nomination for that movie. And then he did The Frighteners and Meet the Feebles. And then, then Lord of the Rings, like getting that creative freedom to do three films back to back and, you know, giving free reign to do everything and just doing everything just so practically and just, it feels just really realistic. I, I kind of miss that in films these days, these really big action films where it's not all done on a computer screen and then there's all like CGI kind of all around. I like just getting, it was like one of those last movies in that period of time before computer kind of took over where they put like just a bunch of extras and get everyone into a scene and just, it just got, it made, it's a bit like old school nostalgic filmmaking a little bit. It's, I, it, it, it's it's missing a little i mean 1917 is a, is a good example of that as well in mm-hmm. nowadays but i think people do they, they 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 cheat themselves a little bit by going a bit too i mean i'm not saying i'm not a fan of like i love like visual effects and what they can do with it, so. but i think you you can use it a bit too much to take you take you out of the film a little bit yeah it's i always find myself mystified when you'll find a big movie is being released and you know, the producers and the director and the cast and the crew always hanging their hat and by on, on the fact that, you know, these are, we make practical sets, you know, everything you're seeing was on screen. It's like, is, have we come that far? Cause I remember that. Yes, we had the, obviously the organic filmmaker. And then when the CGI boom happened, everything, mm. you know, there was, everything became CGI because, you know, it was, it was, you could do things you could never do before. I understand that it opened, the yeah. new doors but you you get it used when it didn't need to be it was used cheaply it was used badly to the point where now mm. people are really excited like do you know what we we actually built a set like, i mean they had that in the sequel trilogy yeah. of star wars which I, i'm a very big fan of but the fact that they kept yeah. having to say that this is all you know and i know obviously they're harking back to the prequels but when they're saying that you know we didn't use green screen or blue screen as much as possible do people mm. need to be reassured that what they're going to see is filmmaking uh, and they can uh, and they can find and they relate to these situations they don't they feel like they could be on there or what they're seeing is tangible you know we lost that for a long time and i agree these these films or these certainly this one because i think the return of the king went a lot more effects heavy as well i think vigo mortensen even said he much preferred the first film because it was a group of talented actors working together in on in practical areas, whereas the subsequent films, especially the third one, became a lot more effects heavy, and they lost a little bit of that. But I, I agree; these films did kind of signal the end of the uh, more organic way of filmmaking, which is amazing considering the budget they had. Again, ninety-two million isn't yeah. exactly short change, but to create this this level of battle is outrageous. Um, it's also got one of my favourites of comedy, and at the end, when Gimli says to Legolas, "In how many have you got?" He can have 43, I've got 42. And he shoots the, the orc under that Gimli's sitting on. And he said, that one's mine. <laughs> I know he is because he's, he's, he's twitching because he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. Go watch a scene for a much better play out of how that scene happens. But honestly, it's so good. And John Reese davis again, has got, mm. he's got the right tone and presence for that character. And it's what, and then at the same time, yeah. you've got Mary and Pippin, they find a pantry full of food and weed, and tobacco smoke. Um, <laughs> wonderful little moments at the end of a victory. That's it. Yeah. It's just these fun moments at the end of a film, which I called somber twice at the beginning of this nice little mm-hmm. shoots of hope again, which is what you need until we get to the very last yeah. scene, which is 
Smeagol, Smeagol and Gollum are one again. He's like, you know, let's kill the hobbits. Let's oh, poke their eyes out. So good. It's such a great way to end the film because it's sort of, it's sort of, it's a bit like, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Like, you know, Luke's found out Darth Vader's his father. Han Solo's been taken to Jabba the Hutt and everything like that. And then, you know, we've won the Battle of Helm's Deep, but we've still got the Battle of Middle Earth to happen. Yeah. And then we got to rely on these two hobbits to, you know, put the ring in the fires of Mount Doom. But at the same time, you know, Gollum is, and Smeagol are, um, they're plotting to, they're plotting to kill them and uh, making a little reference to Shelob. <laughs> uh, we'll take them to her. And I just think, I knew about the spider, but like, I was just like, oh. Just the way, but if you scary. don't know about the spider, it's, a, it's such a tantalizing end. And to think that the Battle of Helm's yeah. Deep was just an obstacle on the way, not the defining moment, because you've still got the Battle of Pelennor Fields later on, and obviously the Anak Mordor as well. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when he says we could let her do it, you know, Ooh, you know, again, you put yourself in the mind of someone in 2002 who's never read the books. Like, who's she? Her? You know, who, who is this woman who's going to do it? Turns out they mean a fucking massive spider is going to impale Frodo and Sam's going to have to use the, the light that uh, Galadriel goes to kill it. Spoilers for the return of the king, by the way. But yeah, and even like the, the name of like Kinneth Ungol, it just sounds just ugh, like yeah. evil. Yeah, it just, it, it, it just gives you a sense of dread. And even when they were talking about the Witch King of Anmar, and then there's and he says like Minas Morgul is his lair, and then they cut to it, and then you're like, yeah, that's a that's a that's his lair, all right. Stop that for enough. Written, written him. That's got him written all over it. Yeah, don't fancy bringing anyone back to that lair. New. So it's so in terms of the film, then if I'm, again I'm going to put you on a spot as I did, if you could pick just like one moment which is like the defining moment of this film, or for you at least, what would you pick as like your like number one? I think like the defining moment for me, apart from the Helm's Deep stuff, mm-hmm. I think is the monologue that Sam gives towards the end of the film where he's, you know, the shine and the clearer and all that sort of stuff. And I think that gives like a really, it highlights the theme of the movie, like holding on to hope and there's still good in the world and there's still stuff worth fighting for. And it relates really well still to, to the world of today. And I think you it, 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 it make it, it's 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 strangely uplifting, even when there's still bad shit and evil that that's in the world, like in Middle Earth. I mean, and you've still got three and a half hours to contend with in the next film. That's a good shout. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or four hours. Well, four, yeah, if you watch plus eight hours of credits, but I, I think mine would yeah. be probably in Helm's Deep when Aragorn and basically. I won't say cool convinces, but makes Theoden see the light. And he's like, right, let's not go out as chumps. Let's have that last stand. And you're like, yes, that's great. The way they just burst out on the horseback, knowing they're going to die, which becomes a theme of Theoden going forward, which is, again, his arc in between the two films is wonderful. I really think Bernard Hill was magnificent in this and the next yeah, film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that scene for me, I think would be it. But did you have any moments in which didn't stand up to the rest of the film or you kind of thought it was a bit dodgy? No, I think it's actually quite a flawless movie. I can't really pick one little moment that that I feel like yeah, that could do without or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe it's like little, maybe a little edit here and there, or maybe like a little moment taken away or something. I don't know. I don't know. What What do you think? I'm um, not really. No, I mean, I think the main ones we mentioned. I mean, again, some some of the CGI minimally was a bit dodgy at certain parts, only very yeah. certain parts, but. Yeah. Um, I got, the only other issue I would have had would have been with the character of Eowyn if she hadn't been written 
as you know she was she was good with a blade she was a warrior she wanted to fight she was more than yeah. just you know a a doughy pair of eyes looking at aragorn that would have been my issue if they just had her in there yeah. for and because i would have i would have thought well why is she in there because it doesn't advance aragorn's story particularly if, if that was just her story and it doesn't give her anything to play with so that would have been a gripe other than that no, I, I don't think I have. I, I, it gets everything right for me: the balance of action, emotion, uh, yeah. technically, visually, the, the 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 screenwriting is on point. Everything about this film is just, as you say, up to par. It's it's just a magnificent film. It gets better every time I see it. It's just one of those films you can watch again and again and again and again. Like that whole trilogy is just so brilliant. I kind of want to go back and watch it again tonight, even though it'll be about three a.m. before it finishes, but. Yeah, like a whole day. <laughs> oh, no, I want to do the I want to do the marathon one. I, I know they're um, the film marathon. I know they're playing them in certain cinemas around my neck of the woods, anyway. But I never got around to actually going to see them again on the big screen. But if they do come back again, I'm there. So I asked you guys out then. What did you think about the Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers? So put out a couple of polls and and combined ninety three point one percent of you liked the movie and six point nine percent of you were wrong. <laughs> basically um and in terms of what you said that film dude said fantastic film one quarter portion added would you like me to get you a box he knows i am the same height as gimli pretty much uh, nick hendrickson said it's my favorite of the three should have won best picture that year uh, my buddy ian from behind the screens podcast also called it the best of three rebel scum texan said few movies can compare two towers will always be one of my all-time favorite movies I can watch it on good days and bad days, and I will cry and get goosebumps every single time, especially when Gandalf shows up at Helm's Deep. Joe Caster, who said two words, Helm's Deep, and NRG Comics said my favourite scene from that movie and the trilogy is the march and the battle of the Ents. So it's great to see Treebeard and the boys getting some love at the end there. So, you know, 93% of those um, who voted like the film, I guess you're going to agree with them. Yeah, I agree with quite a lot quite a lot of what was said there and i think the 6.9 percent who said no i understand if i mean respect to their decisions and stuff but yeah, you're wrong <laughs> what you're doing yeah <laughs> what films are you watching guys but yeah as we always say film is subjective it, we're, we're here for every opinion though i would like to hear yeah, exactly, from yeah. the six someone in the 6.9 percent not so i can tell you that you're wrong but i would honestly like to hear a dissenting voice as to why is it just because you know you're just not into the fantasy scene or what was it was there more to it? i'd love to hear more from that but yeah guys thank you so much for writing those comments in and for those who didn't get mentioned please do keep sending them in and we'll get them in one of the next retrospective episodes but that is that for the two towers episode of the uh, retrospectives the extended edition is coming another point me and anders have been speaking for eight hours actually we're going to content it down. You should see the behind the scenes. Um, but yeah. Anders, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I know it's late where you are, so thank you for giving your time. No, no, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you about this. It was wonderful. No, nope, I've been wanting to do this for a while, so it's good to speak to you. And we mentioned Holmes movies, obviously. Uh, where can the world listen to that? And where can they find them? Yeah, we, we're on Twitter, so you can give us a follow there. We're at Holmes Movies Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter as well, at Fabricius91, F-A-B-R-I-C-I-U-S, uh, I-U-S-9-1. Uh, yeah, we're on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, TuneIn and Stitcher, a few of those little places. And um, yeah, I, we're 
posting, I've posted, uh, uploaded an episode where me and my brother have been talking about uh, the uh, James Bond films. We just uh, uploaded an episode where we reviewed uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, we're sort of getting through, going through all the sort of Bond movies. But we started at Spectre and working our way towards Doctor No, so we're calling it Bond backwards. So um, do check out all the other episodes there and a few of our recommendation episodes that we've been we've been recommending films to watch during this uh, these days of uh, madness and lockdowns and misinformation and absolute fucking craziness best, <laughs> just... best way i've heard it be described by anyone to be honest um yeah do go do go check out um the podcast for one because it's always entertaining and and yes you will learn a lot about film and as you've just heard anders is a man who likes to talk film and crucially can talk film so do go check out his uh social media as well and i'm sure anders isn't going to be adverse to people commenting and talking film with him no um, yeah, please. I'm, I love talking. It's, it's a great thing about being, I mean, I like these days, it's been fun being on Twitter and talking to people about films and just having great conversations and stuff. And, you know, it's, you know, we can, I can ignore all the sort of negativity that kind of comes with it, but it's just nice just to kind of, it, it's just, I, I really enjoy it. It's been, it's been really nice in these sort of times when we're not really sort of allowed to see each other. For that <laughs> no. but, you, know, but, you know, you know, making sure we don't like, you know, get, horribly sick or anything like that but no it's yeah please please do follow the podcast and uh, do check out uh the episodes and i do look and leave comments on the apple podcast page i do like to i do like love to hear what people have to say if if, if any <laughs> if anything possible, negative so i'm open it helps the show grow as well so any rating or review you can give to anders or this show as well it helps the show grow it gets people out it gets um, more engagement, which is what film fans like Anders and myself are all about. We just want to talk film, whether you like this film or any film that we do or not. Hell, that's what we're here for. Let's have a good, proper, solid conversation about film, and that's what it's all about. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Same again as Anders. You can find this show you're listening to on the on the provider you're listening to, and all the other shows apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Deezer. Let's throw them in Stitcher. All these other cool places you can find your podcast. You're going to find us there. You can find me what I watch tonight.co.uk. Um, what I watch tonight across all the socials. Uh, you'll find my face, you lucky devils. And again, yep, if you do like the show, please do give it a good rating and review on your provider of choice. And if you didn't like the show, just keep it to yourself because it doesn't really help anyone. So keep that one uh, tucked under your bed. But again, that, Anders, thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, thank you for having ears and listening to this. And until next time from me, see ya. <laughs> <laughs>